0: You are about to listen to part two of our episode on Karl Marx's theses on Feuerbach. If you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to that now. If you've already listened to part one, well, you're in the right place. Keep going. Or if you've already listened to the whole thing, it might mean that you're already a patron on our Patreon account, so we want to thank you for that. If you are ready to support more interviews and bringing philosophy deeper into the public space. Support Asset Horizon now. Go to our Patreon account, subscribe for a dollar, five dollars, or ten dollars, and join one of our reading groups. We would love to see you there. Okay, on to part two of Theses on Feuerbach. All right. I'm not just the reader. I got, I got comments. All right, let's go. <laughs> What's the next one here? All right. Thesis four is Feuerbach starts off from the fact of religious self-estrangement, of the duplication of the world into a religious imaginary world and a secular one. His work consists in resolving the religious world into its secular basis. He overlooks the fact that after completing this work, the chief thing still remains to be done. For the fact that the secular basis lifts off from itself and establishes itself in the clouds as an independent realm can only be explained by the inner strife and intrinsic contradictoriness of the secular basis. The latter must itself be understood in its contradiction and then, by the removal of the contradiction, revolutionized. Thus, for instance, once the earthly family is discovered to be the secret of the holy family— the former must itself be annihilated, theoretically and practically. Looks like we're talking about dialectics. A- am I right?
1: And the sort of dialectics is sometimes overlooked in the various meanings of sublation, one of them being cancellation. I mean, to go to the Soviet translation here into the English. Uh, the last sentence is rendered as, thus, for instance, once the earthly family is discovered to be the secret of the holy family. The former must then itself be criticised in theory and revolutionised in practice. Quite different. Um, Although the German is uh, Vernichtet, which is closer to annihilate. The, The negation is far stronger, just to give a sense of the kind of the family abolitionist sort of takes that Marx and Engels will eventually put out in the Communist Manifesto. But in terms of just a general comment on this, I mean, this is building on Feuerbach again, yeah, that Feuerbach's revelation you know, in his in his work is that the essence of God is man and religion is our alienation from our objective, the object which is our species essence, the object. This alienation of man from capital M man, you know, big man, is a contradiction which is to be negated through criticism in thoughts and particularly kind of, you can think of almost like new atheism in a way. It's very similar in those days, to be honest. Yet, yeah. What Marx is highlighting here is that the contradiction which causes the alienation of, you know of of man into God, of the creation of religiosity, religious feeling, is not a contradiction that is solely cited on the side of religion in terms of its you know its abstract identity. Rather, the very creations of religion, from an initial you know, that all arises from an, an initial motive contradiction in the material basis of this alienation itself. And the example he gives is the family structure, which becomes mirrored in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and, of course, also the Holy Family. i has got another title, of another later Mark's uh, around this time, Mark's book, which is, of course, you know, Jesus, Baby Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And it, it's here where he says that actually the social being is the, the determinate factor here. And I think what is interesting on the level of thinking about sort of secular foundations, you know, he says like, you know, religious imaginary world and the worldly, literally says, worldly world, is that he is trying to flip over the conditions of possibility for any lingering idealism here. Yeah, I think in this way, like we start to get
2: just a very clean articulation of Marx's problematization of a post Hegelian history. And I think that when it comes to the relationship, and I could be wrong, but it's also here where we get we get the possibility of maybe what we could start to talk about as um, a relationship between you know a broader a broader set of established constraints being a, being asserted as either transcendental or natural, which will be the problem in the eighteen forty four manuscripts, right? Is the naturalization of the motive of the particular mode of production and the practice that either maintains it or
1: reproduces it. So I think in this way, like it's just a good method, uh, a methodological argument. Yeah. And just to give a quote from Marx, actually from a little earlier, actually 1843, this is the critique of Hegel's philosophy of right. He says that the abolition of religion as the illusory happiness of the people is a demand for their real happiness. To call on them to give up their illusions about their condition is to call on them to give up a condition that requires illusions. The criticism of religion uh, is therefore in embryo, the criticism of that veil of tears of which religion is the halo. And he's still more Feuerbachian at this time in his, his career, but you can see sort of the, again, quite, you know, to go back on Marx's own analogy, is the, the embryo of this thesis here. And it is, it, it is very much in this, this particularly atheistic line criticism that you actually get as well when people like Bruno Bauer, who was the person who introduced Marx to Hegel, you know, supervised his thesis.
0: I don't have too much to add on that, although I'll just say that while I was reading all these theses, I really had Laruelle on the brain in the split between, for example, a, a libidinal approach to an analysis of the Social construction of institutions versus the analysis of these institutions in their specificity. And I think this particular thesis edges on, uh, or at least it presents a sort of problem that I think anti Oedipus in particular, goes after. I mean, in view of what we did in our recent La Roelle episode, I think there, there's just like an interesting ju- juxtaposition that can be made between, you know, how Marx writes about undercutting the transcendental illusion of religion and seeing how he sets about doing that in his project down the line versus, for example, like what Deleuze and Qatari do and the way that La Roelle, for example, analyzes the difference between A Marxist analysis of the family, as we talked about, versus a sort of Nietzschean libidinal analysis. But I mean, that's more of just a connection I'm making than a constructive comment. So we'll just, we'll just move on. Now, the next one's short. We don't have to, to linger long on this. And maybe we can just connect it to the next one. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Thesis number five. Feuerbach, not satisfied with abstract thinking, wants sensuous contemplation but he does not conceive sensuousness as practical human sensuous activity. Actually, I think this is what's in focus in the entirety of the theses on Feuerbach. Maybe we can talk about that.
1: So really what, what Marx is doing here is actually taking on board a methodological point from Hegel. Uh, so Hegel in the preface to the Phenology of Spirit says that the absolute is the result plus how it gets there, plus the way in which it comes to be. And for Feuerbach, he's not really focusing on the result. He's focusing on the presupposition of that process. So for Hegel, you know, it's a presupposition of this process. You try and get the absolute sort of get developing itself out of this pure activity, the idea developing itself out of this pure activity. Feuerbach says, no, this presupposes a beginning before this beginning, and that's the thinker. That's that's man. That's the human being. That is a, it's a kind of a rejection of this way of thinking. Whereas what Marx is doing, so he's actually saying to Feuerbach, no, the standpoint of your thinking is actually the result of another kind of thinking, of a certain kind of social material determination, which characterises your thought. And so, your thought isn't a standpoint in the sense of a beginning, but your mode of criticism is actually the result of something else. And in order to, to explain your own thinking, for thinking to be sort of justifying or to have any reality or truth, we need to go to the process of the conditions that make it possible and how your very practice can be understood as practice in terms of how it comes to be. And that really does feed into the, the, the following thesis. Yeah, I, but again,
2: I just want to, to isolate again what this human sensuousness is tied to. And I think what we're going to see is that it's going to come down to Marx's problem with isolation. And I, I think for, for this, there, there, there clearly is an attempt to, like, if you read this, you know, in a, in a vacuum without an account that this is Karl Marx writing this, right? This would be an appeal to maybe empiric epistemic violence, right? That, that like, thought precisely is something that's only possible through the violence of thought. Um, At the same time, you know, when we, it's not simply sensuality, but it's going to be the uniquely human sensuality of, of socialized humanity that, that I think will continue to, to be the issue. So I, I think that's just something that I sort of continue to struggle with in the theses.
0: And I think that comes up more prominently in the the next couple of theses here. So we'll just go on to number six. Feuerbach resolves the essence of religion into the essence of man. But the essence of man is no abstraction inherent in each single individual. In reality, it is the ensemble of the social relations. Feuerbach, who does not enter upon a criticism of this real essence, is hence obliged Number one, to abstract from the historical process and to define the religious sentiment regarded by itself and to presuppose an abstract, isolated human individual. And then number two, the essence, therefore, can by him only be regarded as species, as an inner dumb generality, which unites many individuals only in a natural way. Stay on time. Yeah, it is it. this.
1: This is the critique of Feuerbach's Stirner levels against him because when Feuerbach is saying that we need to act humanely, we have we have to make humanity the human essence, the principle of all of our actions. Feuerbach is potentially establishing humanization. He wants to rehumanize man, and he puts himself against. He thinks his main enemy is egoism, particularism, individuality, because he thinks that it's it's, it's alienated from us, it. It needs to be saved. And Stirner's response to this is this dialectic of of humanization has a contrary pole in dehumanization. The creation of the human creates the inhuman because the kind of ethical mode of acting corresponding to Feuerbach is you worship the abstraction. You do things for someone else because there, as as Marx says, there is this abstract essence within them. I don't treat you as a human being, as the particular flesh and blood human being that confronts me that I have relations with. I do what I do for the fact that there is an abstraction within you. And that's the thing that I respect. And that is, that is Stern's critique that Marx is taking up here when Marx says that this essence is no abstraction inherent in each single individual. This is, this is what he's taking on. And he does go further than this because ultimately this, this Marx goes further than this in the sense that he doesn't stop. Well, he doesn't like stir the stops at this cause he's, he's writing a bunch of arguments, against the younger gay, he's not trying to develop a new he's not putting forth a program. But Marx's twist here is to say actually, well is and I, I think should go into the German here actually, because the German isn't it's not essence in German is also the word for being, particularly. Wesen. So we could actually say this that you know when Feuerbach resolves a religious being into the human being, but the human being is no abstraction inherent in each single individual. The being of humans is not an abstraction within them. It is the individuals as they exist in every day as human beings, as opposed to the big capital H, capital B human being. And because Feuerbach doesn't do this, he makes this religious feeling, the human essence, principle of all humanity and all human history, which is not itself historicized. He does not historicize the human being; he just makes human beings in various stages of alienation, and development from that essence, and therefore he does it as as genus, as species, as a generality which simply naturally unites individuals, individuals who don't necessarily have to have a direct or relationships that human being to that the big H human being that Feuerbach would like, which is you know where Westerner where, where would compare him and other Ligangalians to Robespierre, you know, for they so loved. The human being that they would kill any humans who would get in the way of their sort of project of realization.
2: Yeah, I think though that again it comes down to what is being shared for Marx. Like, if for example, like Feuerbach wants to humanize man, what we're seeing here is Marx wants to remind Feuerbach that the human being can never be taken up in a quote, like a silent generality, which merely naturally unites the many individuals but again when we evade the question of activity for marx it is going to be labor potency and activity that naturally unites man and it's going to be that activity that forces an account of the social to already be enacted so like i'll say polemically and perhaps like you know speculatively that maybe Feuerbach wants to humanize man, but in this desire to kind of like chide Feuerbach for his isolation, it seems like Marx wants to re-socialize man. And I, I think for that reason, you know, in some ways, we, we stop just short of, of a ruthless critique of everything in existence. There is still this um, this unexplored avenue. It's just now the activity of the human being that is its essence. And I think that when it comes to the energetics of labor, but also when it comes to Marx's criticism of the civil society in Hegel, you know, there, there are certain things that he really does want to retain uh, from these movements that,
0: that I think is,
2: is sometimes underappreciated.
0: Here's an antagonistic question. Does the critique of human essence here really harm a concept of the individual? I'm thinking in terms of a basic question, maybe somebody coming to the work of Marx for the first time, like, who are you to say that I'm just a a mere subject of this set of social relations? How does one make an account of me as an individual singularity? You know, thinking back to our episode on Derrida that we did about the radical singularity of death. I'm the only one who has to die my death. How does that account stand up to or factor into Marx's account of the individual being a mere node in a series of social relations. I
1: mean, at this point in Marx's career, it's going to be the letter Engels sends to him saying, if you read this guy, Max Stirner, this is great. We should all be communists out of egoism. And there's Marx's response to this in the German ideology is a, essentially a kind of a dialectical resolution of the individual consciousness into class consciousness, and therefore individual individual egoism into a collective egoism. Uh, and, and it's going to be actually very similar to the critique that that thesis on Feuerbach, you know, the next thesis actually levels against Feuerbach. Because Feuerbach's thesis, he thinks that Feuerbach's philosophy is individualism. But whose individualism? The individualism as an individual what what genre of individual, what kind of historical individuality is produced by this? And I don't know, maybe and I will have a comment on that, but maybe we could elucidate this a little bit by going into the next the next couple of them.
0: Yeah, shall we move on? Yeah, we, we, we're we on number seven right now. Uh, seven. Feuerbach consequently does not see that the religious sentiment is itself a social product, and the abstract individual that he analyzes belongs in reality to a particular social form. I mean, to me, this seems just... Kind of true on its face, you know. It's just uh, what's the note that I have? I I I wrote. I think this one is pretty straightforward. But the question is, what is the function of religious sentiment, and how does it operate within the social field? Um, Is this a complete takedown of religion? This was the sort of uh, like antagonistic question that I have. Because think about, for example, how many religious folks are also Marxists. You know, how how are we to navigate, mm. um, you know, Marxist sentiment about religion here uh, with respect to people who's, you know, still maintain some sort of religious sentiment? Uh, does the presence of any religious values or attitudes presuppose an entirely reactionary social formation? Mm. I mean, I understand that the the, the very social specificity of this religion or that religion and the contingent factors that bring about religious social practices are themselves imminent to the social field. But I, I, I don't know. I don't know if my, my question is even germane to, to the whole thing. It was just something that I kind of thought of um, in virtue of having read this. But I don't know. I, I think, Adam, you, you probably have something for that.
1: Uh, let me be clear. If you like your religion, you can keep it. Um, this is a text about method, ultimately. In terms of methodological concerns, I think you can also read this less in terms of give you know, give up your religion, you're all spooked, you're all sort of you know, crazed, you you know, this is all social construction here. It's I think it's more in the sense of it can't be the solvasis. You can't, you can't make social criticism solely out of religious internal criticism, mm. as Feuerbach and Bauer are trying to do. We say that religious sentiment is itself a social product. I mean, the idea that the social determinants of religious sentiment is 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 completely compatible with with being a believer. I right? assume. So, I mean, think about analyzing the kind of saints people have. What gets canonized, or you know what gets what becomes heretical in terms of religion. We talk about Marguerite Perret and Antiochus. You know, we've, there's new books coming on Thomas Munzer, this idea of reformation from above versus reformation from below. The Peasants' War versus Martin Luther's cracking down on the Peasants' War. But if we, make, if we situate these things methodologically, we can actually find in religious struggles in ways that they are determined by material struggles. Insofar as this is the text on method, I don't think necessarily this, this has to be completely a, a call to a pure atheism in terms of individual belief. Because if we did that, we'd be moving it back to you know, self-feeling. We'd be moving back to the sensuousness, contemplation. This is about social practice. Mm-hmm.
0: I'll say, I know, Will, you have something, but just very quickly on the Marguerite Perrette point, we have an episode coming up on Giordano Bruno with Ted Ted Hand, who was on to talk about tarot way back when and i just find it interesting that one of the beliefs that bruno maintained in the face of the dominant theology of the day was that what he believed to be a soul was part of the anima mundi a sort of collective world soul and how that idea was militated against by the dominant theology, and producing the kind of insulated, siloed-in version of a human soul and or human essence that we might be discussing here. Once again, the very ideas that, that uh, Feuerbach and Marx are critiquing are derivative from those theological struggles. But I cut you off, Will. Go for it. No, not at all. I think it's really
2: important to make that point. But I, I want to add one thing that Like, obviously, this thesis is just correct. It's not a remarkably complicated argument. But I feel as though you could just strike through religious and this holds, right, for what Marx is trying to achieve, that human sentiment is something that cannot be. But one of the things that I think is missing in this account of religion is that religious struggle is material. To reduce the struggle between the Beguines or the Gnostics, or to to simply be having been duped by by something broader that's merely you know a superstructure that's been that's been that needs to be sort of recoded and reexamined, I think misses the point. And this is an often misunderstood element of what Marx is saying here. Like I don't think that's what Marx. Is doing um, because I think <laughs> I think any good historian is learned as Karl Marx would recognize the material reality of the form of life of the Franciscans, right, or the various religious wars, or Marguerite Perret's burning. These are these are individuals for whom salvation is put at stake, but that salvation. And the struggle and the practice, the liturgy of those of those things, those are material relations. Those are forms of the production of truth, of the production of self. And I don't think I don't think Marx would deny that as as I think some, can we say vulgar Marxists, as some vulgar Marxists do.
0: Okay, this next one I have a little bit of a problem with. Um, anyway, number eight. All social life is essentially practical. All mysteries which lead theory to mysticism find their rational solution in human practice and in the comprehension of this practice. Um, I'll let Adam or Will go first before I say anything.
2: You should go first because I, I know
0: <laughs> I want to hear this problem. I know precisely where it's going to head. Well, it's not. What you think, perhaps, and it's not just because I'm a tarot aficionado that I'm going to critique Marx's critique of mysticism. Actually, it has to do with the notion of rationality and irrationality. Um, the concern that I have is I think, and, and, and I might be wrong here, and I'd love to be corrected on it, is because I, I think what, what Marx is demanding here is that the totality of social activity be territorialized upon rationality. Of course, which entails all the risks that we find in someone like Bataille. And so I think that there's a certain component of of human behavior that tends towards the irrational, that rightly takes flight from the rational, that can be theorized rationally, but cannot in its singular irrationality be fully circumscribed by the theory. So I think we can make a productive account, or I think we can make a rational account of that activity or of that domain of human experience. But I think there's a risk in attempting to subsume it into the positively productive practical activity of social relations. I don't know.
1: What do you think? I mean, in terms of mysticism, the way I've read this was to basically say that in terms of theories at the time which you know which they wage into what people at the time would call mystical particularly the works of at least from the standpoint of Marx, Engels, the late Schelling who in many ways they kind of resent as being the person that, that takes over Hegel's position they essentially want to take that kind of idealistic strain of activity of development that would find in people like Schelling and Hegel and rather than leaving it in a sublime experience of the subject and of the mysteries that subjectivity encounters in thought. And for Schelling, for example, in many of his texts, including the early ones like Bruno and philosophy and religion, he says that the goal of theory and philosophy is to discover the truth of the meanings of the mystery cults back in ancient Greece. And he does this for his amazing, like feats of of, of logical and transcendental logic and process logic, you know, stuff like process, dynamism, relation, and indeed the things that the kind of movements that we characterize at Marx calls praxis or practice in, in English. What Marx wants to do is to take those things which were left on the side of the subject, and move them back into the object. Take that gegenstand, that conf- confrontation hidden in experience, and move them into the objective conditions of experience as they are actually historically constituted, rather than taking them in, in sort of the Feuerbachian way and indeed the Kantian way as objector, as proceeds to have to fill in the gaps between these abstracted objects and how they are for an abstract viewpoint of philosophy.
0: I mean that explanation doesn't move me any closer to a sympathy with Marx. Actually, it makes oh me yeah lousy.
1: that, that philosophy stuff that that is if, <laughs> if he's going after Schelling in this, it's probably even more of a of a refined attack.
0: Yeah, I went to Gulag for thesis eight, and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. I I don't know. What do you think, Will? I
2: mean, I'm I obviously like have a different issue.
0: Like I'm I'm just going to go back to
2: this question of practice and activity, like. They're, 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 this is where the energetics is starting to bleed into the social, and it's going to become like a really kind of almost inarticulable. Like the the, the comprehension of this practice for me, it, like Marx, to me, like I have a much less intellectual interpretation of this thesis. It seems to me that Marx is using mystification, mystery, and practicality as merely an attempt to provide an analysis of specific power relations within the social right um, and that through an analysis of those political relations that constitute the the mode of production in a given epoch you can understand social life. All of the criticisms you've levied are, are certainly ones that that I can't answer but like I I guess I just have a much thinner reading of this thesis. Hmm.
0: Maybe I'm misconstruing practical for productive. Perhaps. No, I don't think
2: you are. I think that's the problem. Yeah. Like Marx remains remains within the realm of the human being as an operative machine that produces. Yeah. Like Marx needs that metaphysics. He needs a productionist metaphysics, or else he doesn't work. Like so does the I I but I think. But I think Deleuze doesn't place that at the essence of the human being. Deleuze's metaphysics has a different function; it is a critical function. It's a critical metaphysics. Whereas for Marx, there's a hidden metaphysics at the core of the thing. Like it's it's very it's very different. Like I don't think Marx escapes a productionist or Bataille. But for Deleuze, like my I guess my cop out would be like Deleuze is providing a symptomatology. Like it's impossible to read a thousand plateaus, and not see it as a hatred of capital. To, to read Antiochus as a hatred of capital, as an account of the speed of capital, to say that this is, oh, an account of the human being would, would be, I think, a mistake. And that's why Deleuze ends up with this notion of the individual, which he believes is, the, you know, at once uh, the zero point of processes of subjectivation, but also the perfect isolatable entity for the society of control. So Deleuze is far more critical in this metaphysics than I think Marx is. Marx stays in the realm of human opportunity. And for this reason, like, I, I think that sometimes there are certain elements of an account of production that can, can sort of lead us back in. And this is like a debate that I've been having with friends <laughs> about Marx too, that can lead us back into a productionist metaphysics that I think as someone who comes from like a totally different Tradition can be dangerous.
0: I mean, I agree with you. Should we move on? A, Number nine. Oh, go go ahead, well, this
1: Adam. Is, this, is, this is foregrounding the rest of the theses, mm-hmm. particularly the last one, which is, is Marx doing philosophy here or is Marx rejecting philosophy? Because if Marx does not have a critical metaphysics, you get, Marx rejects transcendental philosophy. And this is what the <laughs> what people like Alan Greenspan and the CCRU and indeed Lars and try and like re back into Marx. Is when you <coughs> moving from abstract labour to a sense kind of abstract production, the production of, of the conditions, possibility of experience as something itself historical, and something that Schelling does too. And in terms of Marx's, I mean, he's, I, I don't think he's saying human essence; here. I think he's saying the being of human beings taken away from the philosophers. The Veyzen we- is far too ambiguous, I know, for me to say that with any sort of certainty, but. If we want to say that he is critiquing philosophy as such here, yeah, because the image of thought which he has, and the image of thought which Stirner has as well, philosophy, is Hegelian, and then it was Feuerbachian, and that was meant to be the end of it. And then in this sort of historical progression, he sees himself coming to the end of this. I guess that's the question that has to be laid open. I mean, you know, we would want to read some of like Etienne Balabar's The Philosophy of Marx. Is, is Marxism at this point, at least Marxism in these theses, is, is it, it's a discussion of method, yes, but it's a discussion of philosophical method, or is it a discussion of a new kind of methodology to which the philosophers are no longer privy?
0: All right, moving right along, we have two more. We're on number nine. The highest point reached by contemplative materialism That is materialism, which does not comprehend sensuousness as practical activity is the contemplation of single individuals and of civil society. This is probably a will one. Oh yeah. Like this keyword search person in philosophy
2: of right. That's what like he's criticizing here, right? Like this is personality in, in philosophy of right that he's criticizing. But again, Marx doesn't want to get rid of the the concept of society as it like like Marx's is is kind of and I think this is going to change in capital like Marx's problem is the isolation of the individual the singularity of that individual um but what he's far more interested in is the interrelation between not just civil society but like the bourgeois conditions of civil society right like Property, right, law, etc, that makes civil society possible as an utterable thing, from Hobbes all the way to Hegel, and how we understand the single human being, so he's going so what he's criticizing, I think, and maybe i 'm being too generous to to Marx um, is the the understanding of of the human being as an entity that is singular but singular in so far as they are singular in a civil society that, that it's, it is their radical singularity, their right, their ability to oppose the world with, with the thing or the, and their, their look, their rational endowments that tether them to, to the civil society and render it necessary rather than accounting for the mode of production, et cetera, et cetera. So what Marx is, what you can do with this thesis, whether or not this is what Marx actually means, maybe is a, a, an uninteresting question. Um, what you can do with, with with a thesis like this is show that in Marx, there is actually like a pretty deep critique of, of the philosophy of right. I don't mean in just the Hegelian sense, like the concept of right as it emerged in European history as a necessity against historical claimants for, for thrones of power. So I think that, that that's, that's what I would want to do with this thesis. Of course, like I'm going to retain, again, the problem of society here um, and its defense. And, uh, but that'll come up in, in Thesis 10.
1: Adam? I mean, just to take us back to a couple of points we said earlier about Feuerbach, actually. You know, when I was saying that the, the standpoint of this materialism is what Marx is saying, it's, it's a result it's not a beginning. It's not a new beginning. It's the result of previous processes and indeed something in constant, independent relationships with them. And so, I mean, I I, I hate it in every translation I've seen of this. It translates at the the German as civil society. The German is Bürgerliche Gesellschaft, bourgeois society. And so what Marx is saying here about Feuerbach and about these kind of young, Hegelian materialists is that Feuerbach, his contemplation of the individual human is essentially as, as, as essentially the, the, the capital M man, the human being, as alienated from itself. And therefore, humans are separated from themselves. They are also, therefore, separated from each other as individuals within that species. And their unity, the thing that unifies them to each other, is alien to each, and they are alien to each other too. That is the cause of all social ills for Feuerbach. And in this way, therefore, Feuerbach's materialistic method is has an individualistic atomism. And in that sense, it reflects the material conditions of economic competition. which We are alienated from each other. We are free as persons in German, sort of like bourgeois law, to be free from each other. We are free to compete with each other. We are free to alienate each other from each other's property. We are free to be alien. This is bourgeois freedom. What Stirner points out as bourgeois freedom, as what Hess points out is bourgeois freedom. It's at some point, Feuerbach probably pointed out as bourgeois freedom. But that is the point it is bourgeois freedom, in which the truth of the individual is the person, or the Einzelner, the singular individual in property, and their stakes in society are those are set against each other negatively, not as human beings in common, but as equally alienated from that same common humanity. That's a Feuerbach in bourgeois competition. Marx's critique here is going to be that you know, the standpoint, and this is the same as the next thesis, the standpoint of this materialism is therefore not a result, sorry, not, it's not a new beginning for philosophy, it is the result of the bourgeoisification of philosophy and maybe the border of occasion that could be philosophy as such. If we want to accept mm. that Hegel is the kind of completion of philosophy as various Marxists do, they mean it not in the sense that we all need to go, go, you know, go and buy Slavoy's new book. No, we mean it in the sense that philosophy purely demonstrates the dialectic support to our society. It is the mm. results of them. It is the totality presented in thought and the principles of any philosophy of the future that want to place itself at the beginning of this in looking at the man who thinks these thoughts is thinking the bourgeois man. Hmm. And therefore this is actually a result. This is not, to think about the social totality, think about the totality of thoughts is not long enough to go to a systematic absolute knowledge or even the system of the man that thinks absolute knowledge, but the system that produces the man who produces absolute knowledge.
0: I think for the next one, then, we'll just kind of build off of the discussion, and I'll kind of whip up a fervor here by inserting my own question. The standpoint of the old materialism is civil society. The standpoint of the new is human society or social humanity. Wait a minute. Will, there is no way in which Marx is reinserting the notion of sovereignty here. Is he? No, not at all. He's totally not just displacing the
2: question onto an account of the human being in relation to its sociality, right? Like one of the mistakes that I think when we criticize sovereignty is that we have this super top-down account. <laughs> Adam is very upset. I, like, the, this, is, this is an issue. The, like Marx's humanism remains an issue. The displacement of the conditions of sovereignty To an ecological account of sociality is just the pure administration of things like this is the organization upon which we understand the administration of life of human society of social society which ultimately must always be defended and at the core of that lies what the sovereign right to life so like I, i you know i think that that this is why theses on Feuerbach is such a strange kind of landmine because you get in texts like like the critique of the Gotha program, where notions of the bourgeois subject are immediately tied to formations of centralized power. But here, Marx wants to dispel the issue of, of the subject of a unified rational capacity and instead socialize it. I think that this, <laughs> I, I just think that this defers, defers the issue. And in fact, I, I would say that it is precisely this problem which we are facing in philosophical discourse today, when we talk about an invocation of the social, of society. And maybe this is just like some subterranean anarchism in me speaking.
0: Just subterranean? <laughs> yeah, I
2: think that this new human society rings kind of like creepy in my right. ears.
1: It just I I don't like it. <laughs> mm. Adam, well, to quote a brave student in Warwick in the 90s, some of us are still marxists, you know. Uh I I this this is a text on method. I don't think he's saying that cuz it sounds it, it, it's not like he's bringing back the the Feuerbachian humanist revolution. I mean, it's like this isn't the Paris manuscripts here. These, this is written this is written kind of after that break. This is gone. I mean in terms of just, you know just go through the thesis again. The standpoint of the old materialism is civil society. The standpoint, literally in joke, stand, standpunkt of the new is human society or social humanity. This is a text oh, on So you're on, telling on, me it's a question about knowledge production then? Right, it, this new form yes. of knowledge. Exactly. That's
0: my yes. criticism too. Yeah, yeah like question, answer.
2: Adam. Come on, like, <laughs> the, like the such
1: production is looking at human being beings so in their social organization, this, which I think is, is, is a good rejoinder to Feuerbach. Precisely
2: the basis upon which, like, we can understand how things in the history of the party, as a transcendental political category, can produce the kinds of things mm. that it did throughout. The nineteenth and twentieth century, like I don't think this is an avoidable. Like it doesn't matter whether whether you have a Lukacian understanding of this, a Korsian understanding of this, the interplay and codependence of the practice of the party and theory renders it necessary to state that methodological commitments are immediately political commitments.
0: Mm-hmm. But we're not I, reading I, Well, I, I would say just to add to that is that this positing of the standpoint a priori confronts the exact problem that Feuerbach and Deleuze present to us, which is if we are to, and, and this goes back to what you said about knowledge production, Will, is that if we're to confront the image of thought, we have to get under every fucking corner of it. Adam?
1: But I, I think here what we need to focus on is what Marx was reading at the time when he was writing these notes. and mm-hmm. particular, the criticisms of the notion of society as Gesellschaft, because shaft is always a productive uh, sort of aff- affixion to any, to any German thought. So, Gesellschaft literally means uh, if you take the, the root of the German, this is a, a Schoenarian point. Stern's critique of society is that you take the word uh, Gesellschaft, take it apart, it basically means it comes from the, the Sal, which in French is also Hall, but in German it's an old root Hall as well. And Gesellschaft is essentially the, the enclosure that is produced with, that humans that is basically rather than being held in common by humans is that which holds humans in common. And so, when we say a standpoint of the new materialism, which is not a new social order, it's a new way of analysing it as opposed to Feuerbachian revolutionary sort of modes of thinking. It is the standpoint of the new of the of the new materialism is that there's not, is the, the standpoint, there's no end the menschliche Gesellschaft or the Gesellschaftliche, societal-like humanity. And I think in light of the critiques of society that are happening from the more, basic the things that break Marx with Feuerbach, this, the, this notion of society operative, is also a notion of enclosure. So a materialism would have to understand essentially the standpoint of the enclosure of humanities or the enclosure that is, The human itself. And I think there's a reading of this which is actually more productive if we go back to less in terms of the history of party Marxism that takes this on. Because we've already seen the way in which the Soviet translations of this text, even in English, basically hide any kind of radicality to it and actually go to the raw critique of society itself. You want society to be defended, you can go, you know, go, to, go to Bauer. Feuerbach is the man who wants to defend society because he but thinks that it is humanity. But in order for the basis of society
2: to be defended, right, it needs to become what? The object upon which we presuppose in our analysis. Marx is presupposing it. He's literally saying his account will presuppose the social instead of the essence of the human being. Like yes, but there there is a fundamental difference between relations of production and the social. Like this still relies on a distinction between (laughs) on a distinction between social relations and economic relations. This still makes that distinction. And what what then becomes my question is: is he just playing the social element of the human being against?
1: Mode of, against the particular mode of production. He's playing the sociality of human beings against the human being, I think. I mean, if I'm thinking about production, by the way, the word Herstellung is not used in this text. The only use of anything like production is Thesis 7. He says, you know, Feuerbach sieht daher nicht, dass der religiose Gemüt selbst ein gesellschaftlicher Produkt ist, dass das, uh, das, das abstrakte Individuum, das er analysiert, einer bestimmten Gesellschaftsform angehört. So convention Eter- is product is social product.
2: Yeah, but that's but that still retains human the human being as that which passes from the harbinger of a potentiality to an actualized
1: object, to a fully realized mm. human being. You know, I don't and think it's, Marx- it's not a matter of realization here, because it's not a human being to be realized. He's looking at the ways in which human beings are. real. That's why the the presupposition of because for Feuerbach, human beings are something to be realized through their disalienation, whereas Marx is saying actual human beings are enclosed within mm-hmm. bourgeois society, yeah. and it's that realization which has become the new object. Insofar as it is already realized, we need to look at these things as the results, and therefore the results plus how they get there. That's the the ripping out of the Hegelian dialectic and putting it into a so into a context of actual enclosure here, mm-hmm. I I just think that the the society of of Marx in 1845 is probably closer to the societal critiques he was reading, and as opposed to something that has to be defended. Then I think it,
2: this, then I think we forget why manner. it was really important for like the anti-social anarchist movement to specifically target this text. Why Foucault, for example? In society must be defended makes his final target Marx and Engels, and the socialist movement. Like there, there, this this idea that in fact no, what we need to do is deeply historicize Marx, and thus wash him free is what I would call a hermeneutics of in, of innocence, but one oh, uniquely you. applied to our favorite little boy. So like I
1: no like I yeah, like. I, like Historicized box is to read the text that he was reading at the time and associate it that way. All right, yeah, all right.
0: I'm going to break this up. I'm going to break this up because there's going to be a lot to edit. Let's move on to the final, two most part powerful of. thesis in the Theses on Feuerbach. And I'll just say, just a, a kind of short preamble. I, I initially came in to critique this just to see if I could, but actually I think I found a way to shore up Marx's argument, like, like here it is. Like, here's what we haven't done in this discussion is, like, this is for the workers, right? Look, philosophy isn't about navel gazing; it's about going out and kicking ass, getting rid of the ruling class. But then the problem is, what do we do once we're in power? Oh shit! Now we're the ruling class. And so I think actually, the changing of the world. Um, I, I think this is something that needs to be investigated vis-a-vis philosophy. I'll save my comments to the end. The thesis is, philosophers have hitherto only interpreted the world in various ways. The point is to change it. Um, yeah, e- either Will or Adam, you, you go ahead and start out. I'm just going to gather my notes here while you're...
1: Well, so if you go to Marx's grave in Highgate Cemetery, you, you pay the four pounds or you just sneak in or something, you will see a slight addition to that quote, which is, uh, the, you know, the philosophers have only interpreted the world in various ways. The point, however is to change it. Now, this, however, is an addition by Engels in the English, it's not in the German. This, however, is interesting for me because it says, well, the however means, it, it relates it back to philosophy. That the point of philosophy, however, is to change the world, not to interpret it. But in the absence of that, however, where's philosophy here? The philosophers have only interpreted the worlds in various ways. The point is to change it. That is like, so it could. you could be saying, Philosophers have simply interpreted the human condition, the point is to change human or the point is to change the world in which man exists and is enclosed. In that sense, maybe this text isn't for philosophers. I mean, there are some Marxist thinkers who don't call themselves philosophers on this basis. I mean, S.M. Balabar doesn't call himself a philosopher. I think I've heard of it a couple of times, on the basis that it's not a Marxist position to be one. In this is sense, is this meant to be the end of philosophy insofar as philosophy is Completed in some sense by Hegel and Feuerbach. Hmm. In the definition of philosophy as this move from dialectical activity on the part of the subject to contemplation on the part of the object, Marx sw- swaps those positions, puts the contemplation nowhere, puts the activity at both ends, and moves them all into the objective. Is this something which is no longer about us? This is not about philosophy anymore. This is a, a theoretical weapon even saying, you know, philosophers could be good at teaching dialectics, but if Marx is ripping us away from philosophy, philosophers no longer have a monopoly on this. And if you want to go like Larawell, say, you know, it's the capital form of thought, does the Marxist thing have to be, uh, oh, oh dear God, no, oh, God, no, oh, God, non-philosophy. Does it have to be non-philosophy, folks? Does it have (laughs) to, do we have to all become Larawellians, or do we have to find ways of doing sociology? And there are good critiques, of course, I mean, uh, not Terry Larawell, but the critique of sociological reason as something that also develops from neo-Kantianism. For example, Gillian Rose's book, Hegel, Contra Sociology. This is the, the grand question. I mean, in our book, anti we try to say, we don't take, we don't read it in the same context we're reading it now. We say, you know, the point of philosophy is to create concepts in a manner hostile to the order of things. The conceptual engineering for that. Does Marx, Marx doesn't think conceptual engineering is the, the, the what philosophy is because he's dealing with other philosophers, but that's that's kind of the, that's why we, that's why I offered the title "The End of Philosophy," because is anything after this philosophy For this reason, Sartre says no, Jean paul Sartre
2: presents Marxism as the fundamental, insurmountable object that philosophy cannot get past. But it is this thesis that has caused such a strange series of reactions. So I'll just go through a few. In his essay, Resignation, Adorno writes this uh, when criticizing what he calls actionism. One clings to action for the sake of the impossibility of action. Admittedly, already in Marx, their lies concealed a wound. He may have presented the 11th thesis on Feuerbach so authoritatively because he knew he wasn't entirely sure about it. In his youth, he demanded the ruthless critique of everything in existence. Now he was mocking criticism, but his famous witticism against the young Hegelians, the phrase critical critique was a dud, went up in smoke as nothing but a tautology. The forced primacy of praxis irrationally stopped the critique that Marx himself practiced. And then I'm just going to paraphrase Foucault and the others. Foucault puts Marx next to Nietzsche and says that it is in moments like this that Marx actually recognizes that thought is always tied to that which frees or that which binds. And for Heidegger in a kind of creepy interview where he like lifts his arm up and pulls a Marx edition off of his shelf and opens to the 11th thesis says that to interpret the world is to change it. So it's it's produced a handful of I think somewhat bizarre <laughs> responses, but I think that what Marx is ultimately arguing, and again, I'll present this speculatively because I'm not a Marx scholar, is that the way in which philosophy has been done has been historically to allow for the recognition of an order of things, for an account of the order of things, for a representation And and for this reason, right, the owl of Minerva, you know, can only fly at dusk. But what philosophers must do, it seems, is provide tools that necessarily force the changing of this world. That by showing the practical historical processes that constitute the power relations, Of post industrial England necessarily changes the world because it forces us to, you know, pull the wool cap off, right? That we've kept over our eyes. So I think that in in a certain sense, I'm not so sure Marx is saying wither philosophy in the way that perhaps Adorno is saying wither Marxism. But I think Marx is saying that precisely the realization of philosophy is dependent upon its capacity to do this other thing. And I think that that's what we get in one of the first pieces that we ever talked about, which is intellectuals and power, right? Where Deleuze puts forward that we've never really understood the role of the philosopher, that the role of the philosopher is actually to sit in the prison in the workshop, to lend an ear to these things. This is fundamentally why philosophy cannot be the same after Marx. Right? It, it will never be the same after Marx. So I guess that's what I have to say about the
0: final pieces. All right. To finish up, I am going to put a new figure into the discussion, and that is Antonin Artaud. And I owe a small debt to Henry Summers Hall yet again for his paper on Feuerbach and the image of thought, as he puts forward Artaud as a kind of figure that actualizes Marx's predicate here. I'm just going to quickly recast in different terms what Marx is saying. Philosophers have hitherto only represented the world in various ways. The point is to find lines of flight outside of thought. And Artaud, and I'm I'm totally copying this from Henry's paper, it it says in Man Against Destiny, Um, basically Artaud announces his Bergsonian commitments, but really what's important here is that Artaud is going to identify what he thinks has been a problem for, for thought all along is the utter continuity of consciousness. And here's what Artaud says you all know that one cannot grasp thought. In order to think, we have images, we have words for these images, we have representations of objects. We separate consciousness into states of consciousness. But this is merely a way of speaking. All of this has no real value except insofar as it enables us to think. In order to consider our consciousness, we are obliged to divide it. Otherwise, the rational faculty which enables us to see our thoughts could never be used." But in reality, consciousness is a whole, what the philosopher Bergson calls pure duration. There is no stopping the motion of thought, that which we place before us so that the reason of the mind can consider it is in reality already past, and that which reason holds is merely a form, more or less empty of real thought. Now, what I find interesting about this here, and and Henry certainly points this out, is that the image of thought becomes a bounding off point, a kind of necessary illusion from which thinking becomes possible again, right? It's almost reactive in a way, and it kind of returns philosophy to, you know, a kind of reactive power, but one, as like Nietzsche and Deleuze point out, one that we can take to its utter limit and, you know, find the outside, as it were. So Philosophers have hitherto only represented the world in various ways, which is to say approaches to philosophy were established on a transcendental illusion. Thought was confused with the presentation of itself, and and has been. That's what the image of thought is. Moreover, thought was conceived of in such a way that it broke with the constitutive, sensuous domain from which it itself arises. The role of philosophy is to facilitate, and to use a Deleuzian term here, is an encounter with the conditions that give rise to its own possibility right and so part uh, of what's involved with thinking is is being able to think the outside in a way that ultimately as philosophers we're going to you know create concepts and and systems and so forth but when we bring it back to a kind of marxism we we have to think that there's something about philosophy about a text about the words that we use about the concepts that we create that have an a signifying quality that put in motion the creation of the new and a movement with and transformation of those determinants which brought about the thinking itself one other way of thinking about this is class struggle right and so maybe what i just said is really highfalutin way to say that you know the practice of of fighting against the ruling class involves one that has this reflective dimension but it's not merely reflective in the fact that we fall back into concepts that have already been prefigured or pre-made for us, that this struggle itself must produce new concepts as the, as the struggle unfolds. And so with that, I think there's a way in which we can think uh, of philosophy as a struggle against the sign with a capital S, right? Insofar as it's an ossification of hermeneutics, and insofar as any hermeneutics can enclose us within the ideology or the sort of the hermetically sealed libidinal circuit of hegemony. So the role of philosophy then is to sunder those obstacles to the possibility of thought, which is to think in such a way that instigates an a-signifying rupture of conceptual and sensuous determinations. And so that's my take on Marx. Anything else before we close things out? This is our longest episode ever. Yeah, I think two parter. <laughs> come on. <laughs> yeah, I
2: think that in a certain way we could say now that like this is why we have to understand that like the proletariat arrives on the scene to say you know I come not to praise the proletariat but to bury it mm. right and I think in in that sense uh, this this remains often lost and perhaps it's a, a, a delicate Hegelian analysis that's needed to understand it. So I'm gonna pass it to to adam but it's 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 precisely in this in this it, avenue between consciousness raising and predicating a politics that i think needs to be navigated right like a politics predicated on the you know in praise of the proletariat that's just good supply side economics right but uh, you know it's it's timely because janet yellen just gave that long speech at the the chicago school right But it's this it's this very delicate process through which the recognition of the proletariat, through the recognition of being forced to sell labor, then necessitates its dissolution, which I think is kind of still the problem. And I think that that's been that's been the case even up to the workerist movements in Italy and Upper
0: All right. With that said, we will close it out. So the moral of the story is engender an aesthetic attitude, create new concepts, struggle against the dominant hegemony, kick some ass and make some cool art. And we'll see you next time.